This is the Foreign Affairs Inbox, a podcast providing analysis of critical global issues by the Elliott School of International Affairs here at George Washington University. And I'm your host, Koji Flindo. So allies becoming more self-sufficient is one thing to watch and adversaries becoming more pushy is another. Well, I think that one has to ask the question, how is the international system going to continue to cope with massive humanitarian struggles around the world? As we sit here, the world has the largest number of displaced people ever recorded in human history. That is a result of, frankly, the failure of international systems to resolve armed conflicts from South Sudan to Syria, as well as a challenge of a refugee and migration system that is several decades old, clearly showing strain under this heavy burden. The United States has traditionally proven to be a global leader in this regard, not only in terms of the number of people that it helps to resettle within its own borders and that it helps to support elsewhere. It is walking back from that commitment in ways that not only are impacting those that would be directly helped by U.S. assistance, but quite frankly, creating conditions where other countries can say, well, if the United States is not going to be supportive, then why should they? Mm-hmm. I actually quite worry for what happens when the next major conflict breaks out that leads to another major displacement or another major humanitarian disaster, earthquake, tsunami, something of that nature that the international system may be even less capable of responding to as a result of some of the political challenges we've discussed already. Sure. And... We obviously don't have time to get into all of them or to even talk about a majority of them. But you have crises like Syria, like Venezuela, like Yemen, like South Sudan, Northern Triangle and Central America. So what is one or two in particular that you think we should be most attentively watching in 2019 because either of its potential for change or because of its potential for devastation? Syria, obviously, for a host of reasons. One, it is sort of the epicenter of the massive refugee flows that are helping to destabilize or the challenge, the capacity to respond of all its neighbors. Two, because it truly is a place where there are multiple and conflicting interests of multiple stakeholders from, you know, the Turks and the Kurds to the Iranians and ISIS, the Russians and the United States. And the final thing is because it is the site of what may very well be one of the most shocking about faces in American foreign policy history where the President of the United States decided on a dime unilaterally, we're done, we're leaving, in ways that many of his senior aides and officials have tried to slow down or reverse or temper, which frankly only leaves even more uncertainty about what the long-term position is of the United States there. So that clearly is another one. Venezuela is another. And Venezuela has the capacity to upend and destabilize the entire northern cone of South America. Nicolas Maduro has just been reelected, shockingly, despite all of the profound challenges that the Chavista management of the Venezuelan economy has led to in terms of this disaster. It was slow motion and increasingly fast motion humanitarian crisis. Given the nature of the politics, there is essentially no meaningful engagement between the United States and Venezuela under the current regime. And it's not clear at all where the light of the end of the tunnel in that problem is. And of course, one of the commonalities that we've just drawn out between Syria and Venezuela and all of the other humanitarian disasters that are unfolding is the increasing challenges for their neighbors as people from Venezuela flow into Colombia and people from Syria go to Jordan. And of course, one thing I've learned here in my time at the Elliott School is that global problems require 
require global solutions, and those don't appear to be on the way. So I guess with that, let's move to the first. What is your final big thing that you're watching that keeps you up at night in 2019? Climate change. 2018 was the hottest year on record. Most scientists in the world who follow this are broadly agreed that the Earth is warming in historic fashion, that it will yield any number of ecological profound challenges from rising sea levels to massive climatic changes that will end heating of the earth waters, which lead to more powerful and more frequent hurricanes and typhoons and things of that nature, you know, combined with, you know, whatever we know about the seismic activity, which is not related to climate change, of course, but which can interact with it. These are all incredibly problematic. You know, climate change is the most wickedly difficult diplomatic problem in the world mm. because it is clearly a problem that affects everybody. It's also clearly a problem that no country can solve alone, not even a smaller group of countries can solve alone. Even with the historic Paris Accords, there's still a fair amount of debate about whether or not, uh, and I'm being charitable and generous in this regard, that the targets set by the Paris Accords are either aggressive enough or even if they are met, will be pursued aggressively enough. And none of that takes into account the fact that the United States is not a member. So this is something that while we're worrying about everything else, we just talked about lots of other things we didn't talk about. By the way, the Earth's getting hotter. And as President Macron said when he came here to visit GW last year, there is no planet B. And we've got to figure out how to address this wickedly difficult problem. Yeah. And I think climate change really highlights the interconnecting nature of all of these challenges, as you just mentioned, right? It's both a cause of things like humanitarian crises when the earth heats up and desertification kicks in. And it's also an effect of a lack of U.S. leadership, a lack of global cohesion to tackle this one problem. And so with regard to global governance and to climate governance in particular, with the U.S. out of the Paris Accords, what is the best that we can hope for out of 2019? And I guess what's the worst? The best we can hope for is that things aren't as bad as they might obviously tend toward. And also that other governing arrangements, other coalitions of states or coalitions of businesses and, and others will step in where governments have not are stepping where the U.S. government hasn't as a means of trying to address these challenges. The worst things will happen, well, not only will these fears be realized, but there will be new ones on the horizon that we haven't even seen. And quite frankly, as I mentioned before, that even if there were an about face in this administration or a a new administration of either party that wanted to figure out how to re-engage the world in support of American interests, that the world will have moved on by that point. So those are five of the top things to look out for. And of course, not many particularly optimistic. Is there something that you are watching that's giving you hope that you think is a positive development in the world stage and that we should all be looking towards for inspiration? Yes, young people. We have the uh, most educated, interconnected, idealistic, impactful group of young people ever in the course of human history. And that's not only true for our students here at the Elliott School, it's also true for a lot of the young African leaders that I see when I travel to Africa quite frequently. It's true of Swedish fifth graders that have stood up for trying to press their elders to fix climate change now. It's true for young entrepreneurs that are making you know new apps every day to try to help farmers get better crop prices to addressing gender violence in India. And so it's part of the reason why we take our mission here at the Elliott School incredibly seriously, to help prepare the next generation. And I think that this is a generation that 
one can have a fair degree of faith and hope in. Well, I'm glad we could end with a positive note. Dean B., thanks so much for being here. Thank you. You've been listening to the Foreign Affairs Inbox from the Elliott School of International Affairs. If you like what you heard today, hit subscribe and rate us on wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, tell a friend. It really helps people find the show. Our show is produced by Social Grinder, and our editor is Christina Wan. Thanks to the public affairs team, Robin Kahn and Colette Kent, for their collaboration. I'm Koji Flindo. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.